0: I want to tell you guys about the, um, the most challenging trip I've ever taken in my life for a number of reasons uh, was after I had been serving at a church in London for a year and it was time to go back to the United States. That trip was the most challenging trip I've ever had and it changed me forever in a lot of ways. But um, on this trip, the first thing you need to know is we've been there an entire year. There's a, a company out there that helps Missionaries going into the field and people that are um, traveling for different Christian things to to do it. And so I visited with these guys and talked to them about it and they said, don't rent a crate, don't do this big, complicated international move for you because what y'all have, you just need to take all your extra bags and just go with the airline and pay all the extra fees. You'll be better off in the long run. So on this last day of being in London, I had to, we're sleep starved. I've got twins that are three months old. I've been up ages cleaning the flat so we can check it out, get to the airport with 10 plus bags, because there's 10 10 of these bags plus our luggage, and get everything, and get all checked in, everything else, and we get on the flight, and um, you... You cannot sit on the same row with infants, two infants, because there's not enough of those auction things falling. So we're on different rows, separated. And I won't ever forget the, um, the guy sitting next to me on the flight was this businessman. And he comes strolling in, you know, whistling. And he rounds the corner and he sees me holding this little baby. And he goes, ah, beep, 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 with all these different cuss words that came out of his mouth as he looks at me. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be, this has already been a long day and it's going to be a long flight. Then we get halfway over the Atlantic, and, uh, and they come over the intercom saying, um, are there any physicians on board? And um, I didn't say this, but my wife is a physician. And uh, they, they, no one, you know, so we just go on with life. We're busy with the kids, trying to keep everything going. And they come on a second time saying, are there any physicians on board to fly? This is a triple seven. You think there's going to be at least one other physician. So about that time, I have to lean over the seat, and I said, you know, isn't your oath kicking in about now? And, um, So she gets up and goes do that. And one of the, one of the bright lights along the way was that I had actually a whole line of flight attendants ready to help hold the other, the other um, three month old. And then we get to Dallas. We had to land in Bangor, Maine. So we're running late because we've had this emergency stop now in, in Maine to get the ambulance on board and get this, the guy was having a heart attack. It all worked out okay. But we get to Dallas late. My family, who's never seen the kids, are all waiting for us. But by the time we, changing multiple diapers and getting all these bags and everything. We're like the last one in customs. And I'm literally trying to get all 10 bags on a cart and all this. And I'm, I'm not doing well. <laughs> and um, everybody, literally everybody in, in there is, is already gone. And the customs guy comes over to me and he says, regulations are I'm not supposed to help. And he kind of winks and then he starts helping with bags. I think he really wanted to go home. But after that, I was changed forever. Now when I travel, it doesn't matter If I'm in my best suit traveling somewhere with, you know, whatever, I see some woman with carrying a child or a man struggling, I'm like, can I help you? Oh, can I get that vomit? You know, whatever it is. (laughs) I mean, like, and if it's, you know, you're on that flight and you really need, want to take that nap and there's that little infant next to you and you know they're going to cry because their ears and all that stuff. And you're like, I'm just like, oh, great. It's an infant. (laughs) Because I'm so great. I mean, I want to, I want to pour into the little bit of help I got from that customs guy. And today we're going to talk about one of our passages that goes a little bit in that direction as well, um, that, that I want to think about how we get changed by having something good happen to us in the midst of, of hard stuff. But today's a little bit different for sermons because we've, we've got um, two passages, but really when you look at it, there are like four different stories in what the readings you, you just heard. And what I'd like to do this morning is uh, I want to give just sort of four quick little meditations on these four different stories that are in the two readings, and leave you with some things to think about. Tonight, during the Super Bowl, when the commercial comes on, you can have a little meditation about one of these four things, or if it's the other way around, when the plays start going again, because you don't care about the game, you can reflect on on something else. But the first one of these is uh, what we heard at the very opening of our passage from uh, Mark's gospel. We heard in this passage where it says, um, as soon as they left the synagogue, Andrew with James and John... Now, Simon's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever. And they told him about her at once. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And then the fever left her. She began to serve them. And that's one passage. But I want to suggest uh, for a minute that that passage is indicative of a bigger principle that you see in in many places in Scripture and in our own experience. And that is that when we encounter Jesus' healing power... When we encounter his mercy, his grace, his love, and, and let it take in, that the very natural response that comes out of that is, is service and wanting to serve him. She got healed physically on that day from her fever and all that stuff, and her first reaction is to serve. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of this that goes on. You know, Paul himself ha- has this encounter with Jesus, and he, his rest of his life is about service. Or you think about um, the people that all, everybody hated, Zacharias, the tax collector, the little guy who climbs a tree and all that. When Jesus dines with him, changes him, sees him as a person, all this stuff, he's changed. He's ready to give back all the money he's collected that wasn't right. He's willing to do whatever he's going to serve. And we see this pattern, think, over and over again. And I think for us, the meditation, to come back and sort of get personal with it now, is when we get to where we're jaded about serving? Or are we dread serving? Are there's no joy in serving? Or we don't serve? I think if we come back and reflect on what, it, what God has done for us and is doing for us, and, and you, when you reflect on how much He loves you, when you reflect on His mercy and grace and the salvation that He's given you and all these things, it will make us want to serve. It will take that burden away from us. And, and this is... I won't speak for Bill, but even for me in ministry, there, there are days when you're, you can kind of get in the, in, the, in the routine and you can lose this. And part of what every Sunday is for us, I think, is to come back where we're celebrating this. Every single day when we do these prayers at the altar on Sunday, we're being reminded of the mighty works of God in His love and reaching out to us in salvation. And part of that is about serving. And today when you hear the post-communion prayer, listen to how it charges us forward to serve. And at the dismissal of our service, you know, we're going to go forth to love and serve. Those go together. When we realize this love, when we love God, it takes us out to serve. And when we start to struggle with that, I think we just need to come back and reflect more on what God's done and is doing for us. And it'll, re- it'll get us on that. That's reflection number one. So the second sort of thing, and these are all threaded together, Um, There is is a flow to these. But the second one of these is to go to our first reading for a minute and think about St. Paul. Now, a little bit of context in this passage. um, This is 1 Corinthians 9, um, 16 to 23, this passage that we just read. And right before this, we get uh, Paul is really making a defense of his ministry. He's had some people that have been saying things or doing whatever. He has this need to write and sort of defend his ministry and as he does it, um, he's, before we get to our passage, he's been talking about how, you know, I've got the right to take money and be paid for my ministry, but I haven't been doing it because I don't want anything to be a, even a possible issue with people that I'm trying to share the gospel with. He's kind of gone out of his way to say, I'm really free, but I've become a slave basically because I want to do whatever it takes for people to hear this message. And, then we, and we go on in the passage where he's talking about, you know, I've become a Jew for the Jews. I've become as one under the law for the people under the law. I've become weak for the people that are weak. I'm going to get along with whomever it is in order that they can hear what, this message that I, that I have to present. Paul's going all in. And there's a whole nother sermon I'm walking by right now that's about whether we're doing that. Are we just being a, a neighborhood church for the Park Cities or are we trying to be a dynamic church for Dallas with the gospel? That's another sermon. Another day. Bill's going to do that one. I got it. Yeah, all right. Sounds good. But, but this idea that for all of us, when we make the decision that we're going to follow Christ, all of us have got a commission. All of us have a commission. Paul is saying in his, that he's got this commission and he's got a particular call and he's saying that, I, I mean, basically he's kind of saying, I have to do this. This is, I mean, it's not about money. It's not about this. I've got to do this. And for all of us, we have this commission. It doesn't matter when you first make a decision that you're going to follow Christ with your life in any way, it's to share that with others. Jesus tells us, you know, go make disciples. That is the command given to the church. Go make disciples. And all the church, at some level, is about doing that. And then later on, we've got specific stuff. But I always say, I've got a brother that's in the uh, Army Reserve and uh, he's been called up a lot of times. But I was thinking about this. For the people who get into the Army or the military, it starts by taking this commission where they say, I'm going to defend the, the Constitution. Everyone has that commission. And then later they get their particular orders. Oh, you've got to go do this, or whatever. And I think that's the way it is in our Christian walk too. All of us get the commission that we're to help Make other disciples, which means introduce them to this love and mercy and grace. And then ultimately, we're all going to walk along as sort of students of our master the whole, the whole way. That's part, that's part of it. But we all have this call. And I think it changes. God is basically inviting us to partner with him in his ongoing work. And everything changes when we lean into that. Because acts that seem sort of normal, I think, take on different meaning when they're being done with a purpose. And when they're being done as part of, the, of a commission that God gives us, right? And so I think meditation number two is to sort of reflect on this call that we all have and think about what Paul does and what we're doing and where are we on all that, right? Lean into that, meditate on that. The, the third and fourth ones are, are um, again, these are, these are all connected. But when we're, we get into that, there are two other things that I'd love for us to reflect on. And um, the second one of these is where um, Jesus um, it's part of this passage where we pick up at um, Mark 1:35. He says, "In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed, and then the disciples are going to come and eventually find him there." But this idea and I, forgive me for a minute because I'm, I'm preaching very much to myself at the moment, as well as anybody in the room, but Jesus has been doing a lot of stuff. And if you follow this from our gospel last week, he's been in the synagogue teaching. He's healed the, the leper at, at the door of the synagogue. Then the Sabbath has ended. He's healed all these people who came to his door because they knew what he could do. He's been doing all this stuff. And now he goes off on his own to a deserted place, to a quiet place, and that's where he is. And Jesus is recharging. He's there praying and communing and recharging. And I think the question for us is, you know, this is the way God has told us it is. It, you know, He goes back to the original 10 Commandments calling for us to have a Sabbath. We're not better than Jesus. All of us need to recharge. And, and God wants us to hallow time in our weekly patterns to do that. That you, you can't just be on all the time. And it's blurry now, right? I mean, my kids have got a soccer game today. You know, and you get all, you get all this stuff and you're like, "Was well, that work or not work? That's, you know, this idea of what it all is. But, the, but however it works out, all of us need to recharge. Jesus does it here today. All of us need to recharge and commune with God. Are we doing that? Just a moment of reflection to think about. And, and the final thing that I wanted to get to is right after that. So Jesus is off praying on his own in this quiet time and the disciples, they come and find him. And it says, Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And he answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that's what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This idea that they went hunting for him because people were looking for him. And they're basically saying, come back and minister to all these people. And Jesus' answer is, okay, it's time to go on, but we're going on here because my call and mission is to spread the gospel and, and the good news and this business about the kingdom all around and we're going to the next city now. I mean, Jesus has a plan. I think sometimes we walk past this sometimes. Jesus has a, a plan and a mission. And sometimes we don't always say it that way, but he, he does it again and again. When we get to the start of the opening chapter of Acts, Jesus tells all his followers, I mean, he's got a plan. He's like, okay, you guys all stay here because two, a couple of reasons. One, the Holy Spirit is gonna come and give you power for what's coming and when you leave here, I want you to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and, and the rest of the world. Like there's a, there's a pattern, a strategic pattern here. And the thing I want us to reflect on is, do we willy-nilly just kind of march along with ministry or do we ever stop to ask, what is our strategic um, plan? What is our leader, strategic leadership in all of this? I think about this sometimes when I think about some of the um, clergy that I look at, for examples. One of the really successful mega church pastors, a um, guy named Rick Warren, some of y'all have heard of him. Yeah, I love reading about the guy because, because he's, he's got this megachurch. He, he's wrote a book a lot of people have heard of, Purpose Driven Life. He's gotten to where I was reading the other day where he reversed pledges. So he lives on 10% and gives away 90% of what he makes. But Of course, he hit, hit the jackpot with that, um, with that book, but... Uh, but, but, this, but, he's, but he's a tremendously strategic leader. And if you go look at this mega church and what he's all done, you think, oh, wow, it just kind of just happened. He's like a just, you know, he's just a successful guy at this. But, but if you go dig deeper, like when he was a senior at the seminary over in Fort Worth, he did um, a reading class where he studied the hundred biggest churches in the United States. His dad was a church planner, so he grew up. So you think about all these things coming together. He's not just doing this by accident. He is a really, when you talk purpose-driven life, the book he wrote, before that he wrote, he wrote a book called Purpose-Driven Church. I mean, the dude is strategic and on it. And what do you know? He's impacted thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so my meditation is just to, to ask the question, we're in a new chapter in this church right now. And many of us are in a new chapter in our own lives. Are we thinking strategically at all? Are we asking the questions, how can we be good stewards with our lives and with our church and with our ministry in ways that are gonna have a strategic impact along the lines of God's kingdom and what he wants? Just, just, a, just a point of meditation and reflection. We've got this big game tonight, so I hope that I've given you just four little things that are you know, they're, they're, they're connected because they're all in one sweep. but um, I'd encourage you to meditate on them in the game or throughout the week, and just think about them I and what God's call is on our lives. You know, to think about what it means that we're, how much we're loved, and the mercy and grace we receive, and the response of service. To think about the call you have, and, and Paul's willingness to do whatever it takes to spread the gospel. To think about the place of holy rest, and to think about um, strategic leadership in ministry, and all of us are called into that. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us so much in ways we'll never fully comprehend. As we receive that love, as you lavish and and pour that love on us, may it return to you in worship, and may it it, um, present itself in the world as we serve you as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.